Welcome to the Purpose at Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Jacobson. This episode is brought to you by Guided. They help you stop employee burnout and turnover by providing great coaching for all employees so you can get out of the weeds and focus on building great culture. The best talent values learning and growth over everything else. They don't want to be managed. They want to be guided to realize their potential. So if you're ready to evolve talent development, make sure to check out getguided.co. Now let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Purpose at Work podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Jacobson, and today I have Dina Upton. Dina is the VP of People at Drift, which is a conversational marketing SaaS platform that is changing the way businesses buy from businesses. So welcome to the show, Dina. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to dive in on this. And Dina, the place I'd like to start is to uh, hear a story from your life or career that has a valuable underlying message. Yeah, I would, um, you know, one of the things that I think is important is you are as successful as the people that are around you. So, you know, really surrounding yourself by individuals that intellectually challenge you, that emotionally challenge you. So ensuring that the people in your organization are pushing you to learn. And then also that you in your particular role are pushing those individuals. And sometimes sometimes it's, it's a little bit scary to give feedback. Uh, you know, I can remember, you know, when I was at LogMeIn, the, the CEO that joined us, he joined us as a COO actually. And, you know, when he came into the organization, he came from not as a collaborative organization in his previous life. And so I gave him some initial feedback that, that sort of changed his thinking and his approach. And really, you know, for me as a leader, it was difficult to, you know, walk to a meeting with new CLO and sort of give him some direct feedback on what I was observing. But it really helped to set the course on our partnership together and to ensure that he was working to the full capacity at LogMeIn. So what was the, and first of all, I can imagine how that would be scary, new COO in the organization and is not coming across very collaborative and that you walk in there and need to give him that feedback in order for him to succeed at LogMeIn. I'm curious, what was the underlying lesson that you took away from that, that that ended up working out so well? I think it's, you know, it's, it's always, I think for me, and he's always used this story too. He's told, you know, candidates that interviewed with us. I think for me, it was sort of the powerful message of feedback and, you know, being a, and working to be a true people partner with the organization, as well as those leaders in the organization is you're an, an unbiased voice back to the leadership team or back to your employees. And I think ensuring that, you know, there's always positive intent, but delivering message, delivering that feedback message back is super important. So, you know, receiving feedback and giving feedback is the greatest gift that we can give to each other. And I think that when you're surrounded by individuals that are very, that are self-aware and are constantly looking for feedback, that level of feedback is going to be appreciated and celebrated. And I think the importance of that is something that, you know, has always driven me to ensuring that I'm working in an organization where constant learning and constant feedback is something that's encouraged and expected. It's one of the things that we do very well at Drift and that's really encouraged here is, you know, an incredibly open and transparent culture, but that gets fostered and fed 
by, by people practices and the organization having a willingness to accept that. So I guess the lesson for me there was just really the importance of giving feedback on a consistent basis. How have you, so on the topic of feedback and sounds like Drift is a very open, transparent company. This is something that companies struggle with so much, right? Yeah. So I'm curious about, is that something that companies just start out great at feedback and that comes from leadership and it sort of stays that way? Is that driven by the people practices? What are a couple of the really key things in order to have a culture of open, transparent feedback? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it starts with the recruiting process, right? Like how you are going after talent, right? I think it's your employee value proposition, how you're branding yourself out in the marketplace, ensuring that that is an authentic representation of what it's like to work at your organization. That's a form of feedback. And then when candidates walk in your door or meeting people throughout the process, they're taking in feedback and you're giving them feedback. And so I think that the stage is set the first time you talk to a candidate in the recruiting process, right? It is reinforced in how they are interviewed, the types of questions that you ask, how the interview is structured, right? So the, you know, it's not a gut feel interview, but it's, it's an interview that is based on, you know, the purpose of, of an interview is to gather data about that particular person to ensure that there's a match. There's a match for the individual. So to ensure that that individual is going to, it's a reciprocal relationship, right? Like they're going to get, they're going to be more marketable by working at your organization and they're going to make you more marketable. And so I think that feedback loop and that feedback process starts during the interview. It also is reinforced at onboarding. Individuals that come into your organization, how quickly are they getting feedback on how they're doing? How, you know, in a sense, how rigorous are your manager to employee one-on-ones? Is there structure and rigor to that? Is there a defined performance management process, like a cadence for how you're getting feedback from your manager and then how you're giving feedback? So I think that the importance of feedback starts in the interview process. It's reinforced in onboarding. It is, again, reinforced in how individuals are leveling up in the organization and how performance management is continues on. But then it's also, you know, how, as an organization, how are you seeking feedback from candidates that come into your organization that can be done through candidate assessments, it can be done through Glassdoor, a very variety of other ways, but are you seeking feedback and then acting on that data? And then are you seeking feedback from your employee base about how they feel, how likely are they to refer your organization as a great place to work. Now, there are several ways where employees or candidates or previous employees can provide feedback on your organization. And how does the organization respond back to that feedback is super important. So you're right. Like, it's hard. It is hard to master the art. And I think that, like, it'll, it, it will take us a career to really get that right. Just as it takes a long time to really master how you recruit. But I think the muscle can be developed in an organization and the importance of feedback. And it's also, you know, are you acting on, I mean, this is probably the most important thing, which is, you know, are you acting on feedback from your customer base, your clients? Is the customer at the center of everything you do in the organization? Is that lip service or does that really happen? And so I think being in a healthy organization that is analyzing and looking at data 
and providing feedback is super important and something that's developed over the life cycle of an organization. Tina, I'm curious about the why behind the work that you do. So even just listening to you, it's clear there's so much passion there. What's your why or your purpose for getting up every morning and putting so much passion into your career? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I didn't start out in, you know, the people function. I actually started out in a development role. I believe it or not, I actually coded in C++ and did some systems integration work, but always found myself kind of migrating toward the psychology and the organizational design and development of teams, right? So it goes back to, I'm sort of a little bit of a competitive person. (laughs) I love to run and I love to stay active. And so I think of the, you know, there's a puzzle to the people component, right? Like there is, there's a competitiveness to it, right? It is a race to find the most successful team. And that team could be defined as an organization. It could be defined as a small sales team, a small engineering team, but there's this concept of team and in a sense, sort of athleticism of that team and connection within that team. And that component of team Team structure, team communication has been always something that's driven me. And if that team is a small startup or that team is a more is an organization that's getting absorbed into a larger organization through MA activity, what how do you make the most successful team possible is what sort of has driven me to being involved in the people function. And you know, I think of it as puzzle solving. And so I've always been fascinated with puzzle solving and and people mechanics or the psychology of teams is always a puzzle. And and that's been really interesting to me. What has been one of your favorite teams that you've ever been on and why? I would say over the last month at Drift, and I'll tell you, I mean, there's, there's several reasons why. I, I think the speed at which the Drift organization is running, the incredible ability to get things done here and the trust that the team members have. Like, you know, when I joined, there's such an emphasis on learning, right? Like, I think I've read 25 books since I've joined Drift. And I don't mean cover to cover. I mean, you know, I've I've read pockets of, of books, but there's such a drive to be better and learn. And, you know, that comes from from David Cancel and Elias's emphasis on creating an enduring organization and one that teaches. And so, you know, you'll find pod, Seek, the Seeking Wisdom podcast that DC and DG do. You know, they're teaching outside of the drift walls because they believe in the power of learning and the power of storytelling. So for me, you know, I, I have been super impressed by the pace at which the team here has been able to learn and adapt. And I'm, I'm just amazed at what they have been able to accomplish with such a small team. I love that. What is one of your favorite people first practices that Drift has that you've noticed has really worked? And for context, Dina's relatively new uh, <laughs> at Drift. One, so she, one month in. <laughs> may not have all the answers here, but I'd really love, from what I've read and learned about David and about Drift, really a progressive people-first organization. So I'm curious about some of the, I'd love a look under the hood of some of the ways you guys are treating employees. Yeah, there's several, you know, several examples, but some, you know, some that just really popped to my mind. Because it's startup and we're moving so quickly, we bookend the week. So we start with Monday metrics and we end with what's called show and tell, which is, it's not your typical 
weekly stand-up. It's all of our departments get up. There's you know, either one or two people from each department, and they talk about what they accomplished that week. But it is almost like, you know, sometimes I feel like it's, and to just set a little bit of the stage, we vote. So there's, there's a team of five people and they vote on the most impactful presentation of Friday afternoon. And the judges are put in those positions based on tenure. So, you know, we haven't been in, in existence really long, but the most tenured employees are sitting on and voting. And it's storytelling at its best and celebration of, you know, what our engineering team has accomplished, what the sales organization has accomplished. And so for me, it's the power of each of those teams. So it's not as though there's like such an emphasis on our sales organization, engineering and organizations, the celebration of everyone and what's been accomplished that week. So that's one of the, you know, people practices that I think work really well here. And then there's several ways, you know, I think we I think we blew up Slack when we first implemented it here, but like the, the use of Slack and the, you know, high fives and celebrations for, there's such an emphasis on team collaboration here that's publicly celebrated that is pretty impressive. Where does that come from, that sense of team collaboration? Because I would assert that it's not coming from Slack. Slack is coming from it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's coming from, it goes back to the storytelling piece. You know, I guess sometimes you get into an organization where you're working so hard on a project, but like you only see it, or maybe your teammates only see it. And not until it's like a hundred percent done, do you, ta-da, publicize it, right? Adrift, we, we post things if they're, we're seeking feedback right away. So if I launch, uh, if I launch our, you know, job architecture or some people practice, I'm going to put it out on our wiki to get feedback if it's 60% done instead of waiting until it's completely finished, tie a bow around it, and then you've lost momentum to get customer or employee feedback on whatever initiative you're launching. Yeah, that's so crucial. And it sounds like there is a lot of trust in the organization to put things out at 60% complete. Yeah. And, and, be willing to receive that feedback. A lot of companies don't, they struggle to be a, an environment where people feel comfortable doing that. Right. Everybody wants to get things perfect before they put it out there. But that sounds like one of the reasons why Drift is moving so quickly is the ability to put things out before they're fully baked and adjust and get that feedback and rapidly iterate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious about, we talked a little bit about running before we started <laughs> off. I'd love to hear about how you use running and also how it's sort of helped your leadership and your prioritization. Yeah, I used to do much longer distance running, but I'm now a sort of four mile a day runner, but it, it sort of sets my day up. So, you know, a lot of times you have a lot of things swirling around in your mind and you have sort of time to yourself, peaceful time to sort of prioritize your day and sort of focus on, you know, what's that one thing that you're going to accomplish that day or that week to ensure that your calendar is preserved. And so I guess, you know, for me, running has provided that discipline. So it's now a habit. So I, you know, if I get up pretty early in the morning at like 530 and usually do a run, which sets the day, 
It sets my state of mind to be able to tackle the day. And running has trained me on that sort of one thing, you know, prioritization piece to ensure that I'm focused on, you know, what's going to sort of ensure that I'm goal setting and achieving those things that I need to do. So running has provided that for me. And it also helps that I've got some family members that are now interested in running alongside me at certain points of the day. Depends on how early I go. <laughs> who's, who's running with you? Sometimes my husband. My 12-year-old daughter, Cece, will join me on occasion, and my 14-year-old son and 10-year-old daughter will sometimes do it. They don't all come together, but at certain times. And it's, you know, it's nice because it's 30 minutes where you can catch up. I can catch up with one of them and sort of help set the day. That's awesome. And in terms of the prioritization, is that because you've chosen running as your one thing that you're going to do every day? that that has helped you start to build that muscle around the one thing or while you're running, are you... It's kind of both. So, you know, running is the one thing that I, you know, and I, I travel a bit too. And so I do it wherever I go, right? Like if I'm in San Francisco or if I'm, you know, I did a little bit more traveling with Log Me In, but in, in Budapest or wherever I am, you kind of, you can ground yourself on your surroundings by going for a run. And also get yourself into the right time zone, which helps. So that's been my one thing from a, you know, I don't, I don't go to the gym. It's just, it, it takes 30 minutes. It's not that long. So that's the one thing that has kept me kind of mentally and physically fit. But it also helps prioritize things that you need to do that particular day. So, you know, a lot of times on a 30 minute run, you could figure out, right, wait, what does my day look like? Who am I interviewing? What's super important for this week to get done? So it allows you the space to sort of prioritize your day. So I think it conquers two things. It's the one thing from a fitness perspective that I like to do, and that's kind of preserved in sacred time for me. I mean, ask colleagues and my family members that don't get in the way of me getting fitting in my run. Doesn't matter where I am, I'll get it done. But then I think it also has allowed me the space to sort Sort of set the day and prioritize things that are happening in that particular day. So it's served two purposes. You've said so many things that I resonate with. One of them is when you travel, <laughs> the, I think there's something innately human about when you get on an airplane and you go somewhere to want to go get accustomed to your surrounding, right? Yeah. So actually, once you, if you go run around, I try to get lost actually. Yep. And actually figure out how to get back to where I'm staying. And there's something that happens that I think is a natural human instinct where you start to actually get grounded in your surroundings. You do. And I think like, especially a lot of times, you know, as a sort of people leader, you know, you're going out to these other offices or these different areas to connect with the team that's there. You know, you're right, like getting a little bit lost in those surroundings and sort of getting yourself into the time zone and into the regular flow. It helps. It helps when you're running to sort of set that in motion and then you're better able to sort of connect with people and, and, you know, be a curious learner in that particular region or area where you're visiting. So I think it's super important. It's funny too, the, the unstructuredness of running time. I have crafted and honed speeches. Yep. And <laughs> presentations, yes. things Well, running because I say, you know what, I'm not gonna listen to a podcast. I'm not gonna listen to music. I'm not gonna listen to a book. I am going to get my mind around this presentation that I wanna give. 
and you can just run through it as many times as you need to, but it's natural because you're not standing there reciting something, you're running. So you still are kind of, it's still happening in the flow of how you're moving. I think it's actually a really amazing way to learn. To yeah. Something. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're practicing a, a pitch or a story or a presentation, you're like, okay, what are the three things that I'm going to talk about in this pitch or presentation or whatever it is? You kind of, again, you sort of prioritize what that message is. Because, you know, as you've said before, people walk away from a couple things from whatever it is you're going to talk about. And have you hit on that? Have you hit on it a couple of times? And is, is your pitch or your speech concise in order to deliver the message to the audience? So I think running is a great way to kind of practice that or, or practice a really difficult conversation or feedback session that you might have to give to your colleague or to someone in the organization. A great way to sort of practice that is, is on a run because no one's with you. <laughs> yeah. One more step down the running rabbit hole. And then I yes. will we'll come. Oh, I can talk. Yeah. Uh, something, and my brother is also startup founder of a productivity platform. He has started and he lives in New York, so it's potentially a bit easier to do this. His first option that he gives everybody for a meeting. And when you're in New York and you're, you're just constantly in meetings, that's, that's, you know, (laughs) about New York when I lived there, his first option is, Hey, would you want to go for a run? And so he's both getting in his exercise exercise, exercise for the day. And then also getting his meeting in and yeah. with somebody. And there's a whole bunch of other reasons that I think it's really nice to connect with somebody over a run versus, you know, this 30 minute coffee meeting or whatever it is. Yeah. And I love to, you know, Dave Cancel and I have just started doing walking one-to-ones because I just think you get going, um, you know, you're talking, you know, it's, it's a lot more natural and you get a little bit of exercise in there too. I'm curious, Dina, about... When you think about the future of work, what is an area or topic that you are most interested in or where you see us going from a people perspective? Yeah, I sort of think about this as the sort of power of community. I think especially in the Boston tech scene, and David Cancel does a great job of this. It's like thinking beyond the drift walls, like how do we make Boston technology how do we make either a particular area better off? And so it's like that reach, and he does this through Seeking Wisdom podcasts, and, and you know, he is all over a lot of social media platforms talking about the power of learning. And so the stage is for individuals even outside the Drift organization, and how can we teach you know, younger startups that are even smaller than us how to learn from some of the things that we've done and you know, trials and missteps that we've had for other young entrepreneurs that are looking to start a business and how can you sort of, in a sense, kind of pay it forward. And I think that organizations that, that you know, compile content and in an authentic way, right? Like DC's not doing it, for himself, he's doing it to, to help create better marketers or organizations that can use conversational marketing further. It's something that, that hasn't been done. So it's that learning methodology that is carried on throughout the organization. And how can we make the Boston tech scene even better and ensuring that our talent stays within Boston and then even the surrounding tech atmosphere on the West Coast, throughout the U.S. and internationally, how can we make sure that the technology environment is strong. So I think it's just, it's sort of teaching 
outside of the walls of your organization that I think are going to be pretty powerful. And it's like that in itself and in a very authentic way creates a magnet for talent that want to come work at our organization because they can see what it's like from the outside. I love this conversation about community. I mean, in the, you could talk about the future of work or just the future of society. Right. right. And that I'm glad that we're leaving behind a world, especially in tech, where it's this, yes, it's, it's still competitive, but we're leaving behind, oh, I'm not going to share information outside of these walls. Well, I think we're, yeah, and I think we're breaking that down a little bit. I would say like 10 years ago, it seemed to be like these organizations were so walled off. It was like security at all sides and not sharing information. And I think we've been breaking down those walls. And I think that, you know, organizations can learn from each other on how, I mean, it's not new, like feedback isn't a new challenge. Um, Performance management isn't new. Certain organizations maybe do it a little differently, but how can we teach and learn from each other, I think is, you know, it's sort of taking that feedback that I was talking about earlier and sort of amplifying it outside of your organization. And it makes sense to do this as well, because the tenures that employees have at companies is naturally decreasing. Right. We're moving more into a gig economy and this sort of machine platform crowd where we're crowdsourcing talent in different ways. And that it wouldn't even make sense to try to protect information within the walls of your organization if there's this constant flow of talent amongst companies, which is also really interesting, right? As right. knowledge is going to be more and more naturally shared from one organization to another. Right, right. And you want to be known as that organization where people are from. You know, we hope that, that individuals come and work at Drift for a long time, but we know that there is an end life to that and that they will take the experiences that they've gained here and start another company or, or go work at a large organization that maybe they've always wanted to work at. We want to be known as the organization where people are from and they're proud to be from and they can really make an impact wherever they're going. If they're going to be an educator or if they're going to another tech company or they're going to be the CEO of another small startup, whatever it is. I want to bring it back to feedback, Dina. And and I'm curious about if there's ever been a time where where you have gotten feedback that was really hard to get at first, but that ended up really serving you. Yeah. Oh, plenty. But yeah. (laughs) I think, you know, for me, I think I have a natural tendency to say yes and sort of please a lot of people, right? Like I am a natural conflict averse individual and try to smooth situations over. And I think, you know, the feedback that was given to me as harsh as it was, was, you know, you really need to learn to say no. And, you know, saying no means you're saying yes to a handful of other things that you have going on and sort of preserving the, you know, goes back to sort of the priority piece that I was talking about earlier. You know, I have had to teach myself how to say no and how to kind of have a firm voice, which doesn't come naturally to me. And that was probably, you know, some of the harshest feedback I've received. But I'm modifying. I'm working that muscle. <laughs> what um, such a big, such a big skill to be able to say no. Is there anything that you've done to set yourself up to be able to say no gracefully? Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes you have to do that not now. Like, so instead of saying completely saying like, I'm just going to cut you off, like no way, no, not now. Or I can get to that particular thing, but I'm probably not going to get back to you in a couple of weeks. So, you know, learning how to, so it's instead of actually coming out and saying, no, it's like not now, but potentially something that you could do later. Yeah. 
which is a softer way of saying no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the things I picked up for saying no is that I used to have a really hard time saying I can't because knowing what I know, I'm saying, well, if I wanted to, are you good? <laughs> right? If I wanted to, I could. Or if I prioritized it, I could. Or is it possible for me to do that thing? Yes. Yeah, so is saying I can't. But what I, I think somebody, it may have been a mentor or a coach or somebody helped me reframe that where they said, actually, you can't if you relate to your commitments, like your current commitments, like things that you must do or things that Right. matter. And so you could say, I can't, because it would be saying, if I did do this, it would actually say, say no to the other thing. So it's yeah. a thing to say, hey, actually, I can't go participate in that thing, because it would actually be in violation of my other commitments. You don't have to say right. that other part, but you can say, and that changed everything for me, yeah. to be able to start saying I can't without feeling that. Yeah, yeah, because you're compromising something else that is super important to you. Yeah. Still gets me into trouble with my brother. When I tell him I can't, he's like, no, you'd prefer not to. Still figuring that one out. So, so Dina, as we start to wrap up, I'm curious about your growth as a leader. So you've obviously had this evolution and a journey that you've been on. What has been or have been a couple of the most useful practices or things that you really take on that have helped you become the leader that you are. And we haven't really talked much about this, but you've been, I mean, chief people officer at Log Me In, hyper growth organization, now at Drift, really successful organization. These are, this, these are amazing roles and you wouldn't be in them if you weren't doing something great as a leader. And I also imagine that that hasn't, you haven't always been the person that you are now. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a couple things, right? I think it still goes back to sort of, I think the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I think that if you can learn to effectively get things done through others and ensure that your team is empowered to do well and equipped with what they need to be successful. So it's moving from doing to guiding to leading. And I think that it's difficult to move from that individual contributor role where you're always doing everything to then moving up to guiding and leading. But I think the, the important thing is sort of understanding what your team is doing, but maybe not always actually doing it for them, which still requires a lot of hard work and dedication. But I think it's, you know, if you learn how to master getting work done through others in an authentic way, you know, you're willing to do it, but you know that they have that mastery, that skill mastery that you don't, you're, you're getting things done effectively through them. What's the biggest change that you had to make between being a strong individual contributor and effective guide and leader? You know, I think it's being a great communicator. I think you need to be a great communicator at every level in an organization, but you kind of learn how to master that the more experience you have and the ability to sort of recognize patterns. So pattern recognition, and you can see that through organizational growth, but it's so hard to, to know the answer in your head to a challenge, right? When you're starting to lead people, you know, you can fix it right away, but it's kind of holding back and listening. So it's mastering those listening skills of, of guiding someone to like, what's the challenge for you? What else is on your mind? So pulling that information out so that they're solving those problems and you're not solving them on your own, I think is pretty powerful. Dina, what is the best way for people to follow your work or keep in touch with you? 
Probably best way is LinkedIn. I have been told that I need to be a little bit better at Twitter, but it'll be one of the things that I work on, but probably the best way is on LinkedIn. Okay, we can put that in the show notes. Dina, anything else that you want to share that's come up over the course of the conversation? You know, I think, you know, as you and I were talking a little bit about it in the course of the, the show, I think that the people function is in a very powerful position right now in that there's an appreciation for the importance of the role and the partnership that it has in an organization. Because I always think about, you know, it's people first, product second, but if you have an incredible team, you can do a lot with a very little group of people as long as those individuals are motivated and understand their role in the organization. So I think we are at a spot that's really exciting to be part of a growing organization if you are, if you're in a people function. All right. Thank you so much, Dina. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks.